the enzymes are, are such a strong focal point because it allows um, bigger or mainstream brewers to get full or stronger conversions in their brew house um, without having to worry about how much malt they're using because because it has such a good strong package. So when they're when they're working with the grain merchants, um, it's up to them to to source and find those ingredients to meet that contract spec. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Growing Point Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Boychin. Our goal with this podcast is simple, to provide Alberta farmers and agronomists with timely, relevant, and valuable agronomic knowledge through interviews with experts in various fields of agriculture. We hope that the agronomic information from this and future podcasts brings value to you in your farm. So in this episode, we're speaking with Sherwin Santiano and Peter Watts. Sherwin is the malting and brewing technician at the Canadian Malt Barley Technical Center. And Peter Watts is the managing director at the Canadian Malt Barley Technical Center. And we talk with Sherwin and Peter about the malting process, some of the characteristics of malting barley and, and how the quality of malting barley will impact the malting process, what that means for farmers and their management tactics and variety adoption and what it means for the markets that we're selling into, um, how they perceive and how they look at and how they value some of these characteristics of the malt barley um, that we're producing. Uh, so it was a very interesting conversation and a lot of information coming from both of these experts. Uh, so enjoy the podcast and thanks for joining. All right, so we are here on the Growing Point podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Boychin, the Agronomy Research Extension Specialist with the Alberta Wheat and Alberta Barley Commissions. And I am here talking with Sherwin Santiano and Peter Watts of the CMBTC, the Canadian Malt Barley Technical Center. Uh, and we are here talking about malt quality. Uh, so if you guys could introduce yourselves, Sherwin, maybe I'll, I'll point to you first. Introduce yourself, what you do with the CMBTC. Um, and uh, and Peter, go ahead after. Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Sherwin Santiano. I am the malting technician here at the CMBTC. I've been here about six years or so. I'm going strong um, here at the CMDC. We, we analyze new varieties in our pilot and micro malting plants. And uh, eventually I hope to be uh, setting up our malt quality lab in the near future. And I'm Peter Watts, uh, managing director here at the CMBTC. So uh, work with the team, including Sherwin to uh, make sure our customers around the world are getting the information that's being generated here at the CMBTC on the quality of Canadian malt barley and new varieties and uh, encourage them to uh, uptake those uh, new varieties and benefit from the great quality that uh, that we have here in Canada. And for our, our regular listeners, I'm sure they'll recognize Peter's uh, Peter's voice. He was on our recent podcast as well. But um, Sherwin, we haven't had you on the podcast before. Um, I'm curious, like what... What did you do to get into this role, into, into the CMBTC? What led you to this point of, of kind of the quality side of, of malting barley? So it's a bit of a, it's really just luck and chance, to be honest. Um, I have a degree in biochemistry and uh, previously how I got into the company was really uh, working at the, here as a co-op student about, probably about seven or eight years ago now. Um, so at some point, uh, the CMEC had a position open and I just basically entered the, the malting world full time and it's been a ride since. So um, 
Yeah, I, I think I think malting is is pretty niche in its own right, and I don't know if anyone I know really uh, gets their degrees because they know they want to get into malting. So you just kind of end up there, to be honest. <laughs> And, and it, I mean, it must be something that you develop passion for as you're working in it. And I know when I get the opportunity to have a conversation with someone who's, you know, a lot more intimately involved in beer, it's uh, especially the brewing process, because, you know, we spend so much time drinking it um, to know kind of the inner workings of, of how it's developed and the intricacies of, of um, the entire brewing and malting process. It, uh, I imagine a passion grows over, over some time there, Sherwin. Yeah, I think, um, well, since, since I kind of mentioned it's so niche uh, and a lot of people don't even really know what malt is uh, in general. So um, you, you learn that it's, it's this really hidden unknown world um, to the general public, and uh, it's it's a great part to be in, um, and and it's a lot of learning, and and even a lot of brewers, even big breweries, they they don't they're not even really um, as I guess well versed in in how a maltster does does their or does their processing, and and they're working with the product every day, so it's it's really a, a unique uh, world. But yeah, it's but beers, beers, beer, right? Like we got the barley, we got the the um, the yeast, we got the hops, and we got the water. So where's where's the malt in this, Sherwin? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good, it's a good little intro there. Uh, yeah. So, well, as you mentioned, uh, beer is comprised of four ingredients. You have the water, hops, the yeast, and the malt. Now, I like to focus on the yeast and the malt. Um, as if people are unaware, the yeast is primarily there to, to create your alcohol, right? That is your alcohol generator. It is that beautiful microbe that creates a bunch of different flavors, a bunch of different end products. And one of them is alcohol. Um, and the second part is barley or malt. Um, now, when you're dealing with the barley or malt, you gotta, you gotta ask why even malt? Um, and the reason why you malt is because in order for the yeast to utilize the malt or the barley, um, it needs to first be processed and it needs to be processed using the malt process, um, in order for the, for the yeast to use the barley. So we're, we're prepping that barley for the yeast to take to take advantage of what the barley has to offer, but we need to kind of put it in a, I guess, in a, in a place of, of the yeast actually being able to utilize it. So what is that process? What are we actually doing to that barley and why are we doing it to the barley? What I always find this so interesting because how did we know to get it to this point um, that, that this is what we need to do to have yeast interact with barley in that way? Yeah, I think uh, so. Kind of just starting in from the beginning, um, uh, when when beer first was was started as an alcoholic beverage, I mean, they used to just throw barley and it would it, with a bunch of water and it would germinate and wild microbes, whether it be yeast or bacteria, would start to ferment it. Um, so malting wasn't quite uh, a necessary step. They just knew that if you if you introduce these microbes or you let the, the grain sit out, that it would eventually start to ferment. 
um, um, at some point they had realized that if you malted the barley, you actually got more alcohol out of it, more sugar, more flavor. Um, and this is kind of how malting started as a separate process from the brewing. Um, Cause prior it, it was kind of a one and done cycle or at least it was comprised within that brewing process. Um, so malting for, for those who are unaware is, is basically just germinating the grain. You're, you're trying to initiate the grain to start growing for you and start prepping the, the barley into usable form for the yeast um, by utilizing its internal innate processes. And when you're growing out the barley as a producer or anyone out there who knows, the barley plant, when you start to germinate it, will eventually try to turn itself into a plant. So it needs to access those resources inside the barley kernel. Um, but for us as a maltster, we don't want it to turn into a plant. We actually wanna tap into those resources and give it to our yeast friends instead. Um, so it's kind of manipulating the grain, but uh, barley's our friend, but, uh, but uh, East is also our better friend, right? <laughs> we're, we're priming that barley, but only up to a certain point, we we're halting that. So you mentioned we're, we're germinating that barley. Um, how does that process actually occur? Uh, so that process um, is, it starts with about three steps. Uh, the first step is called steeping. And steeping, as the name kind of implies, you are basically giving it huge douses of water. Um, and this is gonna act to initiate the barley to start germinating and start growing. All right, you're signaling to the barley um, that this is a perfect conditions for it to start growing into a plant. So now steeping takes one to two days, depending on the recipe, depending on the maltster, depending on the malt that you're trying to generate. Um, and, and what you're gonna be essentially doing is filling a tank full of water and immersing that grain and then draining it off and then immersing it again. So you'll go through these alternating wet and they call them wet and dry cycles um, where you're just submerging it in water and, and draining it. So, um, so that's essentially steeping, the very first step. Uh, the second step is called germination. Now, as the name implies, uh, well, it sounds very similar to steeping in a way, or at least the first step, but germination is just the controlled growth of the barley. Um, and basically you're, you're trying to tailor the barley to reach a certain life stage of the plant, meaning you don't want the barley to grow too deep into its life cycle because then it will start utilizing those resources that you would rather give to the yeast. Um, and you also don't want to undergrow the barley because if you do so, um, you will create problems in the brewing process. Now, germination lasts normally one to, well, not one, lasts, uh, I would say about three to four or five days, depending again on the temperature and the climate of where the malt plant is located and, and uh, on a malt house. And the third and final step is called kilning. And this will essentially stop the kernel from growing. Uh, what you are doing is you are feeding it um, warm, 
warm air and you are going to evaporate any of that moisture that uh, the barley has accumulated. And this will effectively prevent the barley from germinating, but you're also going to preserve those enzymes that the brewer is eventually going to use in the brewing process. So depending on your kilning regime, depending on what you do, even in the malting stage, you can generate several different kinds of malts and these can be formulated to um, produce different kinds of beers, um, depending on what you're trying to do there. These are essentially recipes, step-by-step -step recipes that, that malters are, are moving through. Is the recipe the same for every beer in the malting process, or is it separate for each of those three processes? Um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm curious of the variation that, that maltsters might be dealing with in trying to generate certain characteristics of, of that malt. Yeah, so um, I think uh, universally there's something called a base malt. So that's where I'll kind of start around. Um, a base malt is essentially going to comprise a majority of, of what's going to go into your beer. So every malt plant more or less has something called a base malt. It could be a Pilsner malt. It could be something called a pale malt. And these base malts are used for their sugar and specifically their enzymes and other nutrition, nutritional compounds within them. Um, other type of malts that you generate will provide more flavor, color, aroma, and uh, these are called specialty malts. And when generating these specialty malts, they do not contribute any amount of enzymes, which is why you need a large proportion of this base malt. Now, in terms of the recipes that, you know, different malt houses will produce a similar type of base malt, but the way they get there might be very different. And this could be dependent really heavily on the temperature because you have to care about your inputs into the malt plant. Um, obviously there's economic advantages and disadvantages to wanting to have it colder um, and utilizing cooler temperatures to inst instead not have to heat it. So you'll, you'll have the germination stage even longer because you don't want to waste as much energy heating. So, um, and there's also water inputs too, depending on how much your water costs. Um, so there's, there's different permutations and, and different ways to generate effectively what people consider a similar type of malt. Um, and you can manipulate um, in all three steps, steeping, germination, and kilning. Um, and like I said, it, that's really going to be very dependent on the maltster and where they're located. It sounds like there's kind of a, an unending potential for different recipes that, that maltsters can work with. And, and Sherwin, my understanding is that you're looking at some of these small batch testing of, of quality of malt, um, you know, I guess, what different testing variations are you looking at when we're looking at some of these varieties and how they perform? Yeah, so in our small scale testing, um, we keep a standard recipe. We are not trying to generate, we are trying to generate uh, a base malt product, um, but we're not trying to hit a certain spec considering uh, we just want comparability between our sample sets. And this allows us to compare varieties over several years because we have kept the recipe the same and we can compare them alongside their control varieties. And 
that's kind of a different, at least, you know, we call ourselves maltsters here, but we're not maltsters trying to generate a, uh, a product to certain specification. That is not um, what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, so, and it's very similar downstairs also in our brew house under the same um, regime every single time. So would you be trying to develop then that base malt? Is that, is that what you would be targeting? Yeah, we generate more or less a base malt. Uh, um, and that's, that's designed because uh, we have about a two day steep. Um, so we are able to achieve the moisture levels around 44 to 46%. And that, that's what maltsters are always trying to accomplish um, more or less during the steeping stage. And at the minimum, they do about 35% and then they could go into germination. Um, but for us, um, our two days allows us to reach the 44 to 48% moisture. Um, and then our kilning recipe um, is designed so that it does not uh, damage a whole lot of enzymes, keeps it nice and dry. Um, our samples always come out around 4% moisture, um, which is what where you typically want your base malt to be at. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. How could, how could you, you know, test for all these different variations and all these recipes that all these different maltsters and, and end use brewers might be thinking about, um, you know, you want to run efficiently, but get the best information for those end users or brewers as possible. So I guess my question from there is, knowing that you know you're, you're working with a specific recipe but these monsters and brewers are working with a wide range how how applicable is are the results that you're seeing to all of these end users is it is it kind of is it a fundamental framework for them to build on or is it giving them a, a, an answer that they can then just move move along with are they having to build on that based on their own situation yeah i think uh so with our processing, it is it is more or less like a benchmark um, that you can refer to, right? It's more like a reference guide that um, if you are seeing that whenever we get a higher moisture on this particular sample, um, it doesn't matter if you are in China or you're in South America, if you keep your same recipe the same, chances are when you see the same sample go through your malt plant, um, you will see it'll probably uptake moisture quicker too. And that's something that um, there's things that we do in our, in our malt processing. If we were to go, if we were to troubleshoot or diagnose how a barley is going to react, um, we can feed that information in a way that uh, a malt plant anywhere in the world could, could digest and, and use it to, to see how it processes in their malt plant, essentially. Yeah, I, I imagine that's a highly valuable piece of information that these brewers are are working with. So I, I you know, the the complexity, potential complexity and variation of this process, um, and dealing with multiple different varieties coming from multiple different eco regions that are grown across the prairies. Um, there must be quality parameters that we're looking at for this malt barley to be coming into, to, to, to go through this testing. Um, are there sp specific barley characteristics that, that are required or, or at least a standard that they need to meet to go through this process? Yeah. So um, there are several barley factors that are, are for sure. Uh, one of them obviously is something called germination energy. 
And as I mentioned previously, um, barley needs to germinate in order for it to go through the malting process. Otherwise, a dead kernel will effectively not do anything and, and the yeast cannot use that kernel. Um, so germination energy is very important. Pre-sprout damage can affect barley germination. Um, now, pre-sprouted barley can still germinate, but eventually in a couple months, it will have a propensity to deteriorate over time. Um, this will affect the maltster's, uh, a maltster's way of storability and being able to keep that barley until later on into the into the crop year and whether or not it will still retain that germination. So that obviously has negative implications. Um, and, and germination could be affected even, uh, for example, you, if you have pre-sprouted barley, um, if you are going to be drying your grain, you wanna be very gentle with it. You don't wanna to cause too much damage because high moisture and high heat will kill uh, live cells within the barley plant. So uh, that's another factor to take into account. And other factors are also protein. Maltsters are going to be caring about protein because protein will effectively, protein will influence how a barley will process in a malt plant. And that's because high protein barley will uptake moisture very differently. There's also things like, like thousand kernel weight. So Plump kernels are always very useful for, for a maltster. Um, and that's because plump kernels have, have higher amounts of sugar extract. And this will act as food for the yeast to turn into alcohol. So no, that, I, and you know, when, when I'm on the ground, um, you know, having conversations with producers about managing malt barley, it's, you know, these are the characteristics that pop up. Um, what is the protein level? Are we managing nitrogen appropriately to reach those protein levels? I mean, that is probably one of the biggest parts of the conversation, but, um, you know, germination, that pre-harvest sprouting conversation, when we're in tough, tough falls, that, that comes up often enough. Um, you know, the one that I, I, I'm curious your thoughts on um, would be greens. And, you know, I hear this conversation come up often enough when we're talking about, okay, how many passes in the field can we do um, without causing too much secondary tillering that's going to lead to maybe some, some green seed? Um, and what, where does that play a role in, in the malting process? So with green kernels, um, those are going to be obviously thinner um, just because they are at a different stage in the life cycle of the plant. Um, now these thin kernels will be more or less screened out by the maltster. Um, a lot of maltsters will essentially they size or they assort their barley so that um, they are the same width and the same length. Um, this will help because in a malt plant, uh, you are always aiming for something called homogeneity, uh, meaning you want things to be very consistent or the same. Um, you want to know that when you are applying this water, you are applying this heat and this mixing that every kernel looks more or less the same. Now, obviously that's very tricky because you're combining uh, different fields from different farmers. So um, when it comes to the greens, unfortunately those might be screened out by the maltster. So it's, it's really not as useful, but they might go into, um, I mean, if they're very green, I don't know if they're, they're gonna pass through far enough, but 
um, these thinner kernels will be going toward uh, distiller's malt because thinner kernels tend to have higher protein. And a distiller's malt, you are aiming for higher protein because you want higher enzymes. So, um, yeah. Would, would peeled and broken then kind of fall in this same kind of category of, you know, it's not a consistent, it's not consistent size. It's not, you know, it, it's maybe absorbing water a little bit differently, or is there, is there a different um, kind of mode of action happening there that, that needs to be considered with peeled and brokens? Yeah. So with the peeled and brokens, uh, that is uh, the, the main point of, of that being a problem, especially broken kernels is that uh, well, it's germination. Uh, when you look at a, at a kernel seed, um, one side has the embryo. And if you have a broken kernel, depending on which side you're looking at, one side will have the embryo still attached and the other side will have nothing. Um, unfortunately, without that embryo, you will not get those cell signaling molecules that will start germination. So um, broken kernels are not useful because you are effectively splitting that kernel into two different compartments and and unfortunately uh the kernel that does not have the embryo will not contribute significantly to enzymes or anything because there's nothing to signal to it um and also to uh, peeled kernels or damaged kernels uh will uptake moisture differently because the mode of action of where the water is taken up usually comes from the embryo side um, but if you start damaging that kernel, it will penetrate at different points of, of the barley kernel, which also makes it a little bit more heterogeneous or dissimilar. Um, so that's, that's the problem with peeled and broken um, and why a monster really does not want to see any broken kernels. Some of these are, are, are physical characteristics that, that may come from management practices or, or you know, a, a challenging season um, that are, that are, that's kind of leading us to maybe a late harvest or, or having to go through the field at a, um, a less than ideal timing. Um, but there's also characteristics and, and, and Peter, you know, feel free to jump in here, maybe on the, on the variety side, but, you know, there's, there's genetic characteristics too, from my understanding, beta glucan and, and friability, um, you know, where do those kind of play a role, um, in, in this process? Yeah, well, as you say, Jeremy, there's definitely um, um, genetic influences um, on the, uh, the quality profile of barley. And if we just back up for a minute, and we were talking about protein earlier, I think, um, you know, as Sherwin mentioned, this is one of the key characteristics that maltsters look at and brewers look at. Um, one of the things that in the past was always sort of conventional wisdom for malt barley producers was to try to keep that protein level down. And, um, and, and also the breeding community was um, directed to lower protein content in, in new varieties. And they, they, they successfully achieved that over the years. Um, you know, we compare a, a variety like AC Metcalf um, today, the protein content in the newer varieties is probably a full half percentage point or almost a percentage point on average a lower than, than AC Metcalf when grown side by side. So, um, and, and on the flip side, you know, really Canada is seen as a um, important um, uh, supplier of the sort of high enzyme barley in the global market for, for the malting and brewing industries. And, 
um, enzymes are correlated to protein content. So I guess what I'm saying is that we don't want the protein to be too high in barley, but we also don't want it to be too low. And um, so with some of these newer varieties that, that genetically have a lower a tendency for lower protein content, um, we want to be careful that uh, we're not under, uh, under fertilizing these varieties. So for example, if, if we gave a target um, range of say um, previously, you know, that sort of 11 to 12 and a half percent protein was maybe a, or 10 and a half to 12 and a half percent protein was sort of an ideal range. I think, you know, today, if um, producers are ending up with uh, 13 or 13 and a half percent protein, um, that will generally be accepted as, as malt. And, um, and so again, with the new varieties, they can push them a little harder. And, you know, if mother nature doesn't cooperate and they end up with a higher protein content that they shouldn't uh, worry about that, they'll, um, like I said, generally, that's that's an acceptable level. Even our customers in China, for example, they prefer high protein content. I mean, uh, 11% is too low for them. They want 12, 12 and a half. Um, and they're happy with 13. So that that's an you know just an example of some of the genetic evolution that we've seen and and how that plays out in terms of uh, our customer needs. It's a uh, it's an interesting. Um kind of point peter because typically we see malt barley um getting getting more uh, when you sell it at the elevator or sell it to your maltster you're getting more for it than feed barley uh, but typically and historically as you mentioned we're typically targeting a lower nitrogen level to make sure we're not putting too much protein into that into that grain um and i think from what i'm what i'm hearing you say is you know some of these new varieties we may be able to push the limits of, of nitrogen a little bit higher, um, obviously environment depending, um, and, and it's gonna change depending on where you're growing that variety, but maybe targeting the, that higher yield and maybe getting closer to what feed barley varieties may be yielding, but still attaining that, that goal protein level. And I, and I think Synergy falls in that category pretty well. Does it not, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Synergy um, is very, you know, kind of a bit of a game changer when it was registered almost 12 years, 10 years ago now, um, with a really significant yield bump um, and definitely um, and, and overall really good, good malt uh, quality parameters and um, so generally lower protein content. Um, and uh, as you say, comparable yields to field, field, feed varieties. And we're seeing that, you know, in in the newer varieties like AAC Connect and CDC Fraser and now CDC Churchill, all these varieties are um, really significantly better yielders. And, and, you know, with the higher yield tends, you know, to, to uh, come lower protein content. So, um, and with the improved straw strength and standability of these new varieties, uh, farmers can definitely look at pushing them a little harder. It obviously all depends on their, their soil and their land and, and, and the year. Um, you know, these days, some producers um, like to top dress during the season, which may um, may allow them to adjust their um, their nitrogen uh, um, applications according to the weather. But again, just, you know, we have that conventional wisdom that producers have had been sort of beaten into them over the past couple of decades that they needed to keep that protein content down uh, in malt barley. I think, um, Maybe we, we've got pendulum swung a little bit too far that way and just want to make sure producers know that they can uh, 
they can push these new varieties. And, and again, if they do end up with a, you know, a higher a protein level, they, uh, they should still uh, be able to market it um, and be selected um, given the, uh, you know, the interest in the, our export customers for, um, for good protein content to supply those enzymes that Sherwin talked about that are needed to uh, break down the, the, the kernel and the starches during the malt processing and, and ultimately in brewing. On, on the on-farm level, it just becomes a, a risk mitigation conversation as well. Um, you know, do I throw the groceries at a feed variety and get the high yield, um, but, you know, sell at the lower price? Or now I can maybe look at some of these, these malt varieties put the groceries to it, um, still get that yield and, and more likely get that quality. But I think you're right, Peter, in, in that, you know, it's going to depend on soil. It's going to depend on environment. And I think this is where having a conversation with your seed grower, um, having conversation with local agronomists is going to be vital to make sure you're, you're taking the proper approach to make sure you're managing these, these varieties appropriately. And, and, you know, there is research occurring on these varieties um, with the Better Malt, Better Barley project, we're looking at some of the quality of these across um, Western Canada. Um, so is that is that hoping to shine a light on some of this stuff, Peter? Uh, definitely. And, and, you know, maybe just to add to what you said, Jeremy, is, is talk to your grain buyer, um, because different buyers will have different um, uh, tolerances for things like protein levels, for example. A grain company uh, probably will uh, has a, a wider range of acceptability um, with their ability to blend, uh, say, at a port position for export, um, as compared with a maltster who might have a, perhaps a narrower uh, requirement with respect to protein. So making sure you're talking to the uh, your, your, your elevator uh, manager or the grain buyer uh, or looking at your contract uh, with respect to the, the protein band that they're looking for. And um, uh, so... You know, I think, uh, you know, producers just need, need to be aware of, um, of all those factors. And as you say, consult with, um, consult with your, your agronomist to, to get the best uh, uh, information and guidance. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious and, and Sherwin or Peter, feel free to, to answer. Are international buyers looking as intimately at some of these malt characteristics like greens and peeled and, and protein and, and plump friability germination is the international stage looking as intently as we are um you know does this kind of of, of very focused look at some of these characteristics is it continuous across um the globe or are we are we more focused than others i think it depends a little bit on the buyer, I think it depends on the end user a little bit, but I would say um, that absolutely they're looking at these, these things. They look at all the barley quality parameters very carefully and, um, and, and the malt, uh, malting results as well. So yeah, what do you think, Sherwin? Yeah, I think uh, one of the main things they're, they're always looking at is, is the enzymes. That's, that's where I think um, Canadian barley has had such an impact. Um, it's it's probably well, not probably, but it's it's partially why Metcalf is so um, so um, so loved by a lot of international customers and why it's known. Um, and I think and I think this is useful. The, the, the enzymes are, are such a strong focal point because it allows 
um, bigger or mainstream brewers to to get full or stronger conversions in their brew house um, without having to worry about how much malt they're using because because it has such a good strong package. So um, kind of like what Peter mentioned, they're looking at all, obviously a lot of different things and when they're when they're working with the grain merchants, um, it's up to them to to source and find those ingredients to meet that contract spec. Um, but but yeah, I would say they would be looking at all of it, and it seems like they really enjoy it. I I, I guess you know you, when you mention enzymes, it's one of those things. As an agronomist, I'm going well. I feel like that is something that. Um, in terms of, of at least the management side of production of malt barley is a little bit out of the hands of the producer. Um, that's a variety selection uh, component, would it not be? Yeah, no, it, it, that's right, Jeremy. I mean, enzymes certainly are a, a inherent characteristic of varieties. I mean, they're certainly correlated to protein levels, though. So um, to some extent, uh but um, directly correlated. But I, I agree that, um, uh, you know, an example would be, uh, as Sherman's was mentioned, AC Metcalf was, was loved, which is a great way to say it by our end use customers, particularly in markets like China and, and Japan and even North America, where uh, the brewers are using adjuncts, uh, you know, uh, alternative sources of fermentable sugars like corn and rice. They want that higher enzymatic activity from Canadian malting barley and malt uh, to compensate for that uh, for that use of adjunct. And um, but uh, you know that's not for everyone. The, um, uh, the the craft brewing industry tends to want lower enzymatic activity because they're using 100% barley malt, so they don't want that high protein content and high enzymes. So they're looking for lower um, enzyme varieties. And you know Synergy was a good example of, of of one that sort of fit that bill for them and. Um, so when we look at the newer varieties, uh, uh, Fraser and, and Connect tend to be sort of on the higher enzyme side. So good for those um, markets in Asia, for example, uh, whereas uh, CDC Copeland would, would be, or sorry, CDC Churchill, a newer variety, would be uh, tending to have a, a, a lower enzyme package. So that would be more attractive to say a, a craft brewer, but definitely it's a, a, a very much a genetic um, influence there, Jeremy, and, and as you say, sort of out of the control of uh, producers. You know, going through this whole conversation, it, it really shines a light on how in tune it really helps to be as a producer when being in the malt barley market. You know, which varieties am I growing? You know, am I talking to my end user and, or, or my, my buyer, my barley buyer, and, and making sure that I'm growing the right variety and meeting the quality aspects that they're looking for, but to attain those quality aspects, you know, utilizing those best management practices that are going to increase the opportunity to capture that quality characteristic. You know, we deal with environmental conditions in Western Canada that vary year to year. There's no such thing as a normal year, but you know, am I, am I, soil testing to make sure that I'm, I'm putting down the right nitrogen and retaining the right protein. Um, am I using a fungicide when necessary to, to mitigate lodging and, and to mitigate disease risk that may impact quality? Um, am I using a PGR when necessary? Uh, am I doing good all around um, 
uh, disease management for that crop? Am I seeding at the right time? Am I seeding at the right rate? Am I using good quality seed? Um, depth even plays a role. All of these things help increase probability of, of, of producing quality barley that maltsters are looking for, and then selecting that variety that may fall into those different end use markets. Um, and it just, you know, it really puts a lens on how in tune it helps to be, um, I think, to, to continue to produce and produce malt barley that, that maltsters are looking for. Yeah. Far farmers have a lot of things to think about when they're, when they're growing malt barley. You just, I think you captured that in a nutshell right there, uh, Jeremy. Um, and, um, that's um, yeah. That's one of the challenges of of growing malt barley is meeting that that uh, malt barley spec. But as you just summarized, I think there's sort of some key factors that farmers can can look at, like you know seeding, as you say, seeding dates and and rates and um, and and good management of of things like fusarium, um, you know, and uh, careful harvest practices. Just a few few steps like that can make all the difference. No, this is great, and and. You know, this has been very informative for me and, and hopefully there's a lot of producers that are listening to this and, and you know, gaining some insight. Is there anything else that uh, either of you would like to say um, to producers before we, we finish off today? Grow malt barley. <laughs> sure. When do you second that? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a tricky, 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 slippery slope of figuring out how to get the best quality to meet that spec and you know we would like to thank the producers for for growing it and, and and really tailoring it and i think it's a bit of a rewarding practice when you get it down to a t um but it's it's just it's it's meeting that spec and uh yeah the, the best you can do that's all we can hope for right um everything else is up to mother nature right <laughs> so um, yeah, that's all I got. And I greatly appreciate the time today, guys. Um, and for producers um, who were wondering about the Better Malt, Better Barley um, project that I mentioned, um, there will be posted on, uh, online results of the different trials across Western Canada and, and how some of these management practices are, are impacting quality on some of these new varieties. Um, and I know there's multiple teams working on putting that together. So Peter, I want to thank you uh, and Sherwin for, for being a part of this. Um, and again, I'll, I'll uh, put links in the show notes for any producers looking for more information. Um, is there any way that, that producers can get a hold of, of either of you if they have further questions? Absolutely. Just go to the website, cmbtc.com. You can find all our contact info there. Uh, lots of info on uh, new malt barley varieties and um, the CMBTC recommended list that comes out each fall. So would encourage producers to keep an eye out um, for that, that list, which will come out sometime in late October, which tells them uh, which varieties that, um, you know, we feel have the greatest likelihood of uh, being uh, uh, marketable and accepted in, in, the, uh, in the marketplace. So, um, but yeah, producers should feel free to, to call us anytime, talk about um, malt barley varieties or any other questions they have. Thanks for listening to the Growing Point Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a second to rate, review, and share this podcast with all of your friends. This helps us grow and get our message out. 
You can also sign up for the Growing Point newsletter by going to Alberta Wheat or albertabarley.com and sign up for our mailing list. This will help you stay up to date on all the agronomic information we share through articles, interviews, and the newsletter. See you next time.